As you're being seated, if you will find your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 3. We are at Christmas time, joining with about 40,000 other churches across our country to participate in an offering that supports international missionaries serving in various places around the world. And so it's fitting that we're in a season where as a church we're working through the book of Ephesians because Ephesians was written by what is perhaps the greatest missionary, the Apostle Paul. And in chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul begins to outline a little bit of the way in which he became a missionary to the Gentile people. He begins in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of His power. Take a journey with me in your mind into a smoke-filled room. It is located at the back of an ornate, beautiful building that is called the Temple in Jerusalem. And there in that room are some men that are the Capones, the Corleones, and the Sopranos of the ancient Jewish world. They were the men that on the outside appeared to run honest business, but behind closed doors they were as corrupt as corrupt could be. These are the very men that conspired together to lead the events that led to the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, sitting in the middle of this group of men is a young up-and-comer by the name of Saul. Saul grew up in a city called Tarsus. He had the distinction of being Jewish and also having Roman citizenship. As a young boy, he began to excel academically, and because of that, he was able to grow and study with some of the great minds of his time. And as he grew into young adulthood, he was a political animal. He had a great thirst for power and for knowledge. He wanted to be at the center of power. Within that room, as these leaders of industry would talk about the situation and they would make jokes, the target of their jokes were often the Gentile people, the Roman Empire, the emperor of Rome, anybody that was not their ethnicity. They made fun of. They mocked. They considered those that were not Jewish to be pagans. They considered them to be vile, unclean, barbaric people. Now, the apostle, or Mr. Saul, he caught the eye of the most powerful people in the community. Perhaps he started out humbly. He started out walking the dog and shining, waxing the chariot. But eventually, he moved up in power. Eventually, he became one of the decision makers. And when Jesus rose from the dead, 
and the story of Christianity began to take off, and many people became believers, this young man, Saul, was given an assignment, very simply, to end Christianity before it got started. But then God did something that only God can do. God stopped Saul right in his tracks. Saul saw a bright light from the heavens which blinded him. He fell from his animal and he heard the voice of the Lord from the heavens asking him why he was persecuting the church. Saul eventually became a believer in Jesus Christ himself. And God, like only God could do, gave Saul a new heart. He now loved the people that he once despised. God gave him a new life, a new calling, a new name, a new attitude. He was no longer caught in the grips of racism. Now Paul reached out to those who were across his ethnicity to share the gospel. And Paul says in the opening part of the chapter that he was called to administer grace Now, we understand that Paul himself did not possess the grace, that grace comes from God, that it is a gift from God, but Paul's role was to be a messenger, a dispenser of the truth that that grace is found in Jesus Christ and that that grace is available to every man, woman, boy, and girl on planet earth. And so he began taking that message to the very ones he once despised, and his enemies became his best friends. And as Paul went to the Gentile people, the mysteries of God became known to the Gentiles, and many of them became great believers in Christ. Paul was a missionary, and his strategy looked like this. This is how Paul would work. He would go to a population center where there was a lot of people together, uh, where there was a great need for the gospel, and then he would meet people. He would begin forming relationships with people. And then he would share the gospel. Now, there's this incredible thing that happens when you share the gospel. People get saved. (laughs) It's wild how that works. You know, you share the gospel and then people get saved. And so that would happen over and over again. Didn't matter what culture he was going into. Paul would share the gospel. People would start getting saved. And then whenever people got saved, he would gather them together into a church. The church is Jesus' idea. Any strategy that you have that, uh, for, for the gospel and the expansion of the gospel that doesn't involve the church, you're excluding Jesus from your strategy. So Paul would gather them together into the church, and then he would mature them in the church. And then after he had achieved an indigenous reality where he could hand it off to somebody, he would go and do it over again. And that was his life. He did this over and over again. And so today... When we think about mission strategy, good missions goes to people who are in need of the gospel. It forms relationships with people. Then it shares the gospel. Good missions doesn't stop with just simply handing out a water bottle. It takes the next step. At some point, it has to share the gospel. Then as people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, it gathers those new believers into a new church or brings them into an existing church. And there within the church, people are matured in Christ, and then in their life, they go and do it all over again. That's what good missions looks like. 
It goes to people, forms relationships, shares the gospel, starts churches, grows churches, matures people in Christ, and then it continues to go to people group after people group to ultimately we do what Jesus taught us to do, go to the ends of the earth. A few years ago, I was in a hotel lobby in Denver, Colorado. The North American Mission Board had asked our church to consider partnering with a new church plant that was there in the Denver area. And so Vince Smith from the Colin Baptist Association, myself, and Paul Packabush, we went up to Denver. We attended a church uh, planting conference, and every night after the conference, we would debrief together. And that night, we landed there in the lobby of our hotel. And as we were talking, we began talking about big churches and what is it that takes place that grows these big, large churches. You you may not be aware of this, but here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there are some cultural dynamics that grow megachurches. And we have some of the largest churches in the world right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. Now, just talking from the Southern Baptist list, which I'm familiar with, they take the 250 largest Southern Baptist churches. The fourth largest church in America uh, is Fellowship Church over in Grapevine. Number five is Prestonwood uh, here nearby in Plano. Village Church is number nine over in Flower Mound, Denton area. Lake Point, which has a campus just a minute from here, uh, is the 13th largest Southern Baptist church in, in America. Uh, First Baptist McKinney, number 161. Cottonwood Creek, up in Allen, number 181. First Baptist Church of Wiley, just down the road, is number 240 on the largest Baptist churches in the United States. Now, understand this about me. I don't have any problem with big churches. A lot of my friends attend large churches. I have a lot of pastor friends who pastor large churches. I don't have any problem with a church growing to a point where it has a lot of people that attend. In fact, I'm, I'm very thankful for what happens there. Subtly, though, in American Christianity, and this has been large, medium, small churches all across the, the gamut, there has developed what I like to call a field of dreams theology. Do you remember the movie Field of Dreams? It kind of goes way back now. But there was this line in Field of Dreams where they were building a baseball field, and they would say, if you build it, they will come. And that kind of became the church growth strategy in the United States. The idea is that if we can have a campus that is so pristine and so nice, and if we can have programs and ministry that are so spectacular, and then we have preaching and music that is very relevant and engaging. If we do all that, then the masses will just come out of their paganism, and they will come and join us, and they will want to be cool like us, and they'll all be drawn here to the campus. Now, the only problem with that is Jesus, and he's kind of a big part of Christianity, because Jesus didn't teach us, if you build it, they will come. Jesus taught us that our church growth strategy, that our mission strategy is to be that you go. And as you go, the Great Commission there in Matthew 28 actually is as you go, as you go into the world, that's how you share the gospel and make disciples. And then ultimately, as you make disciples, you organize them into churches or you bring them into the church. We, our church is located here in Collin County. You may not be aware of this in the last 15 years. Our county has grown from about 500,000 people 
to where we now have over a million people in Collin County. The growth estimates are that we will eventually have two and a half million people in Collin County. Some of the biggest churches in America have been right here while this population explosion has been taking place here in our county. And during the population explosion, the evangelical Christian Jesus-believing population in our county has decreased from about 33 to 35 percent 15 years ago to about 24 percent today. Over 40 percent of people in our Bible Belt, buckle of the Bible Belt County, about 40 percent of people claim zero religious affiliation. That doesn't mean that they are atheist. It just means that they do not claim to have any acting out of their faith in any way. Now, what this means as I look at this is that when it comes to community transformation and really making a difference in our communities, a field of dreams theology just doesn't work. It's not getting it done. It's not being effective enough. Now, what is more sobering to me is that my children, your children, our grandchildren, will grow up in a world where church and Christianity and the values that we hold dear, where their influence is rapidly diminishing. You ever had a Holy Spirit moment? A moment where the Holy Spirit just hits you and and a reality came to you? Well, I was in that hotel lobby and we were talking through all this and we were bouncing ideas off one another. And I looked at my good friend and, and partner in ministry, Paul Packabush, and I saw his big, huge shoulders, you know, those burly shoulders that he has and that big round head, that football player's head that he has. And as I was looking at him, I saw Bigfoot. And I said to myself, that's it, Bigfoot. And, and I, I threw out the idea, Bigfoot Church. And the concept was this, that the way the church is supposed to grow is by expanding the footprint that you want to expand the footprint of the church. And, you know, you hope that the campus grows and that more people come to the campus as well. But beyond that, any size church can be a big church whenever you think in terms of we want the footprint to be expanding. And so those of you that have been here a few years, you you remember we used to talk a lot about Bigfoot Church. In fact, we had a a Bigfoot costume. And whenever someone would do something that was missions-oriented, Bigfoot would come deliver them a a bag of beef jerky. It was a lot of fun. I mean, we really enjoyed that, but it scared small children and senior adults, so we decided to cut back on that. So this led to significant changes in how I serve and lead here at Murphy Road as your pastor. Because after that moment, I, I really came back and I really wanted to emphasize the fact that we had to begin building bridges and reaching out into our community, and we had to get very serious about this because the footprint of our church needed to expand greatly. In your worship guide, I hope you got one whenever you came in today, there is a graphic. It it looks like this in there. If you have one, if you'll get it out. If you don't, we have it here on on the screen. It might be a little bit hard for you to read, but it's there. Uh, We exist as a church to lead people to worship, grow in and serve God through lives that are being changed by 
the power of the gospel. That is our mission statement. That is where we derive our core values from. We staff around that idea. We budget around that idea. That's why we are here. We are one church in 500 locations. Now, what that means is that you and I, we are the church. We gather here on Sundays for worship. But our vision is not that, hey, the church is just contained to 411 South Murphy. Our vision is every week there's about 500 people that are part of our worship points. And wherever you go, the church goes. So wherever your church is or wherever your house is, there's an extension of our church right there where you live. We're one church in 500 locations. When you go to school, we have a campus there in your school. Wherever you are, that's where the church is going. And as you go, the church goes and the footprint of the gospel expands to all the world. And in our logo, we put some of the different things that we're trying to do to expand the footprint of the gospel to be involved in local missions. And I find that a lot of people, they don't really know this about, about our church and, and what all we're trying to do. And we're always looking to see and seize more opportunities to reach further into the community. Let me, let me just share some of these things here. We have English as a second language on Wednesday nights. We have community engagement activities where we try to do block parties and various different things to engage our community. We have missionaries over here. Brian and Karen Leonard are missionaries in the areas of apologetics. We have partnerships with state mission organizations, the Texas Baptist, the Southern Baptist of Texas. Jesse Contreras is back here. He's a part of the Southern Baptist of Texas. My personal mission activity is geared towards theological education, and I work a lot with Southwestern Seminary in trying to train young men and women towards ministry. We have a partnership with the North American Mission Board, and we send a lot of money to plant new churches and have mission activity in our own country. Uh, We have an Asian Indian church plant that meets every Sunday at 4.30, led by Pastor Benoit. We have a Spanish worship service that meets every Sunday at 12.30, led by Pastor Oscar. Uh, Last week, we began a formal partnership where we now have a missionary to the Vietnamese Buddhist people that live within our community. That's going cross-cultural, cross-language, cross-faith. It's a large jump to take the gospel into that community. We now have a missionary in Brent Sorrells who, who is connected with our church uh, to share the gospel with the Vietnamese Buddhists in our area. 22% approximately of Murphy is Vietnamese Buddhist. That's a large segment of our population. We have a prison ministry that's led by Clifford Dickerson every week. We do worship and Bible study every week at Linridge uh, Senior Community. We also do the same at Oxford Glen Senior Community. We have an unreached people group. The Punjabi people in India are considered an unreached people group by our International Mission Board. And Samson Mall is there today ministering amongst the Punjabi people. We've been blessed to be able to start two new churches in the province there of Punjab, the Solid Rock Churches. Samson gave a video testimony the other day that said they had a convention where all these churches and village pastors came together. Over 2,000 were in attendance at the, at the convention that they had, and they had 12 baptisms at the convention. I praise the Lord for that. We frequently go out to church under the tree. We feed those, provide clothes sometimes for those that do not have much in life. We also have benevolent ministries where we try to reach out to people as well. Uh, John Fletcher is putting together a mission trip to the Laredo area. We have a partnership with the Collin Baptist Association 
We're blessed to have uh, the executive director of the, of the association as a member of our church and Vince Smith. And through the association, we're actively involved in planting over 10 different churches in our county, strengthening our brothers and sisters in Christ in the other churches that are in our county. And we get to be a part of what God is doing beyond just our campus. Understand this about Murphy Road. The other churches in town are not our competition. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. Understand something else. We here don't spend a lot of time criticizing and trying to tear down other churches. Okay, Pray for them. Try to be an encouragement to them. Use your time wisely in that direction. You don't need to spend a lot of time being negative and tearing down other brothers and sisters in Christ. God will take care of the situations. Okay, And then we have a partnership with the International Mission Board through which we're able to uh, support several or help support several thousand missionaries all over the world. Now, here is a question that occasionally I get. Each week, through ministries that extend the gospel into our community, we are being part of what is called missions ministry. And sometimes people ask me, why? Why do we do this? Why not just focus on ourselves? we got enough problems. Why not just focus on ourselves? Over the last five years, every year for the last five years, we've given over $100,000 to mission activity. Now, some folks would say, hey, we should have used that here because we could be almost debt-free if we would have just used that here. Why are we giving that to missions? Well, first of all, we're not giving it to missions. We're investing it in missions. It's the right thing to do. It's the biblical thing to do to be generous and aggressive in supporting mission activity. And in verse 8 of Ephesians 3, Paul gives us some specific things that he was hoping to accomplish in his mission activity. He says, The grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to His eternal purpose accomplished in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. In Him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. So then, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. Quickly, from this passage, I want to give you three reasons why we do what we do when it comes to mission activity. The first is that the incalculable riches of the Messiah may be proclaimed. That's why we do it. We want to share the gospel. We want to share the fact that God's grace is immeasurable that the freedom that you can experience in Christ is unbelievable. It is eternal in its scope, in its power. And we want to share the incalculable riches of the Messiah to people here in our community and all around the world. We want to be a part of it when somebody wants to share the incalculable riches of the Messiah and we have common ground when it comes to belief and faith. We want to be a part of what they're doing because we want to be there when the gospel is proclaimed. 
We want to hear story after story of people coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior. We want the testimonies of salvation to be on our lips, to be in our, in our, in our classes, in our services. We want to be a part of that. Secondly, that God's multifaceted wisdom may be known through his church. That's kind of pulled from the text there that churches will be formed here and abroad, that believers will gather in those churches, and that the wisdom of God will be known, that people will study the scriptures together, care about one another, that they will fellowship together and find strength in one another, and that from those relationships they too will plant new churches, they too will go into the community, and the wisdom of God will be known by his people. Thirdly, we do this because God's eternal purposes accomplished in Christ may be fulfilled in us and others. Before the foundations of the earth, God declared that all who are in Christ will be saved. And God established the idea that Jesus would come and live the life that you and I could never live, that he would die on the cross for our sins and that he would overcome death and that all who believed in him are his. They are his elect. They are his children, not just for today, not just for a 100 years, but they are his children forever and ever. And whenever Jesus lived his life, died on the cross, and overcame death at the resurrection, the eternal purposes of God were accomplished in Christ, and we get to be a part of the eternal plan of God. When you involve yourselves in missions, when you involve yourselves in reaching out to your neighbors, engaging your community, you are being part of something that is so much larger than you. You are being a part of the eternal plan of God. God knit you together in your mother's womb so that you might live your life in such a way that you join God in what he has desired to do before you ever existed and you get to be a part of it. And when our church invests in missions, whenever we get beyond ourselves and share the gospel, we are joining God in his eternal plan. I want to show you a video at this time that shares with us a little bit of information about our Christmas offering. All right, so there's four things that I want you to be a part of when it comes to missions. The first is I want you to pray. We need to take seriously the responsibility that the church has to share the gospel, to engage our community, and ultimately to engage the world with the gospel. And so I want to ask you to begin praying daily for missions, praying for our missionaries. If you have children in the home, please teach your children to pray for our missionaries. IMB.org. There's other great missionary organizations out there. We have a long-time, 100-year relationship with IMB. Uh, Not quite 100 years, but anyway, don't quote me on that. But they have prayer requests that they put on their website all the time where you can pray specifically for missionaries and teach your kids and grandchildren to pray for missionaries. I also want to ask you to give. We have local mission projects that we do where you can give to those mission projects Here at Christmas, we take up the Christmas mission offering. It's specifically geared towards international missions. I want to ask you to give a gift to the Lord this Christmas season and to give something so that missionaries can go out and do what God has called them to do.
on your offering envelope throughout this month. You can write on there how much you're giving to. Just put missions offering and whatever is written there that's given to that, we'll make sure it gets to the right place. Now we ask you not to, the old proverbial proverbial saying, rob Peter to pay Paul. You know, don't like say, hey, I'm going to cut back from the church so I can get to missions. You know, continue supporting the church the way that you do. But uh, we ask you to do something above and beyond to give to, to missions. Just speaking candidly to you this year, Six to 800 missionaries of our Southern Baptist Missions Force have been asked to either come home or take an early retirement because there were not adequate funds to continue supporting their ministry. To my knowledge, that's the first time that's ever happened. And so I ask that you give generously, and our church can't solve the problem by ourselves, but we can be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. Another part of the problem is the fact that a lot of people are just hoarding the mission dollars for themselves instead of really giving them generously so that they might be invested in the kingdom. So I encourage you to give, and then we as a church try to be very generous in giving to missions as well. Thirdly, you can go. You can go be a missionary yourself. We had a senior citizen couple a few years ago, a couple, Jack and Mary Zumwalt, got called to missions during their retirement years. That's not supposed to happen. You're supposed to go off during your retirement years, right? They got called to Thailand, and they sold their stuff and went to Thailand, lived in Thailand for several years. They're back home now, but I'm thankful for them. Uh, Brian and Karen Leonard a couple years ago uh, went through a a layoff and and through all that, began praying, and now uh, they're working with Josh McDowell Ministries in missions. That was a huge step of faith, but they felt led. And I want to talk to you students specifically this morning. And I really want to encourage you, as you think about what career you're going into, as to where you're headed in life, I really believe that God will call some of you to go and to go serve the Lord somewhere in mission activity. That may be for your entire life. It may be for a year, two years, three years. In fact, there are programs where you can go and serve after high school or after college for like a year or two and be a, a short-term missionary. I know there's a lot of young people that would really benefit from a year or two overseas serving the Lord faithfully in mission activity. And some of you, I believe, from our church can go. And then fourth, I want us as a body and you all as families, us as individuals, to have a heart that desires to send. And to realize that we want to send people out into the world. We want to send people out to start new churches. We want to send people out into our senior communities. We want to send people out to church under the tree. We want to send people out uh, to, to teach apologetics. We want to send people out to do the work of the kingdom as we go. And have that mentality as a church. In this room there is somebody that has been sitting in church for years and you've never really known why. Grandma just used to drag you to church and that's just kind of what you do. But as I've talked today, maybe the light has come on and you've seen the vision that Jesus has for his church to be a part of the expansion of this movement that we call the church. And you can be a part of that. In your neighborhood, there is a family where mom and dad are on the verge of divorce. 
They may live next door. They may live across the street. They may live under your roof. And the kids are hurting. And there's anger. And there's arguing that takes place in the home every day. And behind those doors, the kids know math and Minecraft. But they don't know Jesus. And they need people like you and they need people like me to meet them and to take time to know our neighbors and to care about our community and reach out and do what we can to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ right where we live. I don't believe it's any accident that God planted you right where he planted you. On the street where you live, I believe God has a calling for you. In our country, there are leaders that are making decisions, and the decisions that they make affect our children, and they will affect generations to come. And they need a church that will pray for them. They need a church that will stand for truth. They need a church that will be salt and light, and that is willing to sh- salt and light and willing to shine that light into the darkness instead of retreating into our stained glass monasteries in fear. In our world, somewhere there's a nice man. He lives in a remote village. At night, he pillows his head in a cardboard house. He loves his family. He works hard. And it's Sunday. So he went down to the little one-room grocery store that they have there in the village, and he bought himself a special treat. He's drinking a Coke. Because Coca-Cola had a vision that they were going to take their product into the most remote villages of the world. And in these little cardboard homes live people who know what Coke is and they enjoy a Coke and a smile. But they desperately need somebody like you to do whatever it takes, whatever you can, to bring the living water of Jesus Christ to their community. Do you understand that people are living and dying and they never even hear the message of Jesus Christ. They never even know that there is a better way to live, that there is freedom, that there is eternity, that they are not handcuffed by their social, cultural, economic realities, but that they can be spiritually free now and forever. They can be forgiven and they can be alive and they can live in grace They live their entire life and they never even hear. That must be intolerable to us. We have to get beyond ourselves. And I believe that God has big plans for your life. I believe God has big plans for this church. I believe that He wants us to be a part of His big desire, His big work, and every day if we will just go and join God in His work, we can be a part of His eternal purposes as the footprint of God goes bigger and bigger and bigger, and we stand in awe of the work of God and say, I get to be a part of this. And people that have never heard hear, and people that are lost today are found in Christ. People that are dying inside come alive. People that are living their life wondering if they can ever be good enough experience grace. People that are wrapped in guilt experience forgiveness. Church, I believe to the depths of my soul 
that true change begins in the human heart. And the only thing that has the power to transform the human heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to the depths of my soul, I desire to share and see the gospel of Jesus Christ take root in people's hearts, to see marriages healed, families strengthened, to see people grow in Christ, new churches formed, and the glory of God proclaimed in Murphy, Texas, and around the world. And we get to be a part of what God is doing. Would you stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in worship. And as they do, you can sing with them. It may be a time where you just need to pray. You can pray at your seat. Sometimes people like to come forward and pray at the altar, at the stairs here. You can do that. There may be somebody that you want to go pray with. You can pray with people. It may even be that you just kind of need to write some of your thoughts out. And while others are singing, you just need to write out what you're thinking to God right now. If I can pray with you about anything, it's always my joy to do so. I'm here at the front. And, and I would be glad to pray with you if today needs to be the day where you come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. I would like to talk to you about that as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, Father, that you allow us to join you in your magnificent work. Help us, Lord, not to be so wrapped up in selfishness where all we think about is ourselves. Help us, Lord, to start caring about others to care about the street on which we live, to care about our city, to care about our state, our nation, and our world. And Father, we cannot solve all the problems of our world. They're bigger than me. They're bigger than any one church. But Father, you have given to us the mystery of the kingdom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we might share it. I pray for the joy of seeing people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that we'll get to be a part of new churches being formed, believers maturing. And I pray that we'll get to see that over and over again. May your blessing be on this church. May your calling be on this church. And Father, may we be passionate about joining you in your work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.